2: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
3: I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah. And you're listening to the Tennis Podcast.
2: Hello, folks. Happy Thursday, or whatever day you're listening to this podcast on. It's Thursday for myself. David and Matt, who are all present and correct for what was so nearly going to be the Jeremy Shardy apology podcast. He so nearly, David, made it into a Thursday recording. Yeah. But alas...
1: Not quite. Well, he kind of has made it into one, and I think he still is owed an apology, <laughs> I really <laughs> do, <laughs> from me, uh, because I'm the person who said he's, uh, he's, he's a Monday man. Um, when, in fact, uh, when he came back to perform his heroic Come From Behind victory over Alex Dimonor in Monday's show – I then decided to look up the results for the rest of the year and they were actually pretty blummin' good. And he, he was on his way to his fourth quarter final of the year uh, and had a little chat with him uh, in his press comments a couple of days later. He, and as I said, isn't he a lovely bloke? And yes, he deserved an apology.
2: We have never, never claimed he's anything but a lovely bloke, just to be clear. But we might have been Um, Too dismissive of his results in the year 2021. And today is the day that we rectify that. Mary Grillo's (laughs) been sending us uh, clips of Will Ferrell um, waxing lyrical about Jeremy Shardy. Everyone's into him. Everyone's into him, including my dad, who... Pointedly remarks to me every time he scores a win. So, if this being a Jeremy Shardy heavy podcast isn't luring you in to listen for the next 45 plus minutes, I don't know what else will. Matt, how are you doing?
3: I'm fine, thank you. It's our fault, really, isn't it, that we're recording a little bit later today? Had we been recording when we usually record, which is late morning, this would have been another. Jeremy Shardy live podcast because he was on my screen a couple of hours ago.
2: Yes, as I say, he he only just missed the cut. He's just lost out to Denis Shapovalov in two uh, quite tight sets. As we record now, we have Aslan Karatsev, uh, who is a set and well, he's a set down to Yannick Sinner, but a break up in the second, Sinner serving at Love Three. We'll of course keep you up to date with that match that's definitely over by the time that you're that you're listening to this. Aslan Karatsev somebody that that we should probably mention win or lose with this match because he's better and more of a thing than I gave him credit for. I thought that this mm-hmm. week, I thought that uh, last week in his match against Dominic Thiem, definitely thought it in his match this week against Dan Evans. I think I'd sort of just filed him away with Marco Cecchinato <laughs> in my in my mind after the Australian Open. Yeah, very much prematurely. Um, I agree.
1: I agree. And, and the thing and is, he's better than that the 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 beauty of having a result like he had at the Australian Open is it gets you into these events and I mean as well as being the semi-finalist at the Grand Slam all the rest of it it gets him into these sort of events but he's delivering on it he's he's one of those classic players who's got the goods it appears physically and stroke wise to live at this level but how do you get it how do you get to this level? You've got to either win so much at challenger level to make the jump, or you've got to come through qualifying, and that's a real a real slog a lot of the time, or you've got to have a big win out of nowhere, catapult yourself into this environment. And, I mean, I, you, you're right. He Whereas Jeremy Shardy seems to be the man that's always on the screen on a Monday, he seems to be on the screen midway through the, the week. You know, you get to Wednesday – it's another Aslan Karatsev match and um and he played as you say Evans the other day and it was a real slugfest of a, of a match. Evans throwing everything he got at him making a good comeback in the match but Karatsev coming coming through it in the end. He's he is way better than I thought. Um I don't know what's what's better about him though. Is it is it his stroke play or is it his kind of attitude and endurance because I kind of feel like it's it's a bit of a combo
2: I think it's attitude and endurance he doesn't seem to have huge highs and lows in matches there's a real solidity and density to his game which is just there and there will be better tennis players than him Um, but he he doesn't seem to sort of ebb and flow either mentally or or tennis wise in a match I do think he's going to have a certain amount of staying power i think i think there's a a ceiling um but you know the the those hefty calves can propel him to sort of top top 25 i think
3: wow wow okay maybe i mean yeah. not
2: not imminently because the rankings are such mm. that you can't really propel yourself anywhere no matter what the size of your calves um <laughs>
1: But, I do worry for but. those calves that they're going to go though at any time.
2: <laughs> what go where?
1: Like ping, you know, a muscle.
2: Oh, right. Um go. no, but it, it but it's but they're not strength stretched lengthwise, David. They are bulked. They are bulked laterally rather Does that than help? long. I mean, it's helping him. <laughs> I don't think there's any other data because no one's ever had calves as big as that before. but 100% of (laughs) tennis players with calves of that size seem to be doing very well.
3: (laughs) (laughs) What's strange, though, and I agree there does appear to be this consistency and this solidity to him, and he doesn't appear to be an ebb and flow player. What's strange, though, is that he emerged as exactly that. He had, what's the positive of an ebb and flow? What's the positive bit? Is the ebb the positive bit, or is it the flow? I'm not sure.
2: Oh, Or are they both both? Can they both be both?
1: People are tuning out. Unanswerable question. Mm. (laughs) Let's come back to this on Monday.
3: Yeah. (laughs)
1: Answers on Twitter. He just appeared from
3: not quite nowhere because he had those results on the Challenger tour. And yet I think whenever someone does that, my instinct is to think, oh, well, they'll probably just go away again as quickly as they appeared. Mm. So it is very much to his credit that he has, has kept this going. I think Yannick Sinner, who he's obviously playing at the moment, might use the term that he's in the kitchen. Did you see that analogy that he did the other day? I thought it was quite clever.
1: Last time I heard "in the kitchen," it was Jeff Tarango trying to get in the head mm. of an opponent. Mm. Is that, Scrambling is that what he means? Sinner was talking
3: about the ATP tour like a kitchen, and there are some certain head chefs: Nadal, Federer, Djokovic. And at the moment, Sinner says, I feel like I'm peeling potatoes or peeling carrots, but I want Can to become you a head chef.
2: speaking like this in a second language. So good. Possibly isn't even it? third language
3: <laughs> for him. And Sinner said, I now feel like I'm in the kitchen peeling potatoes, whereas last year I wasn't even in the kitchen. And I feel like Karatsev is maybe, wasn't in the kitchen, but he's getting there, right? He's, he's not uh, quite peeling Karatsev potatoes. he didn't know
2: there was a kitchen. No. <laughs> <laughs> Karatsev was was boiling stone soup over his over his fireplace last year, and now, now he's been accelerated into the kitchen as a pot washer. <laughs>
1: That's good. Yeah, um, he's
3: he's washing the pots. Mm. I like that.
2: Well hang on let let's let's decide who's peeling potatoes and who's washing the pots on the basis of who uh, mm-hmm. who comes out on top of this match because it looks like it's going to a decider uh with the role of potato peeler on the line <laughs> so it's all to play for on our screens at the moment there's such a maturity about Yannick Sinner I'm struck I am struck by it every time he plays his his completely emotionless face this really youthful but emotionless face like an assassin is very striking mm.
3: and it translates to mature tennis mm. he, he outlasted Bautista Agu in the match I was watching a couple of days ago and this... that is not an easy thing to do and he and I yeah I felt comfortable that he would I, I wasn't expecting him to suddenly fall apart when it got tight
1: yeah, I saw him lose to Dano Medvedev last week in straight sets and then lose the first set to Alexander Bublik the other day pretty pretty heavily. And I thought, oh, is Sinner going to go through a little bit of a trough here? Is he playing too much? And then he, he mounts a comeback and outlasts Bublik. And then, as you say, he's off and running. Um, oh, he, as a, just as a straight ball striker, he, he is one of the sights of the sport right now, isn't he? Mm.
2: Higher ceiling than Andrei Rublev? discuss
1: higher ceiling yes that was
2: an that was an intonated question mark at the end of that sentence
1: (laughs) yeah higher ceiling
2: because Um, maybe this is a very simplistic comparison but they've obviously got similar styles of play it's that fast live arm isn't it it's it's not tons of variety um, but it's it's incredible ball striking and ability to to, to go toe-to-toe with players
1: I don't, I don't know why, really, but I just feel it. I, I, I feel there is a limit to Rublev's game right now. Maybe, maybe I don't feel like it's as adaptable. His power, um, it, the ball has to be right there for him. Um, whereas I feel like Sinners' movement and he's. We talked the other week, didn't we? A, about how well balanced he looks, like that skier who's just able to no matter where he is on the court, look balanced. And yeah, there's a bit more of an X factor about his game to me.
2: Feeling and X factor. It's that it's that hard hitting, detailed, <laughs> forensic scientific analysis that people come to the tennis podcast for. <laughs> uh Matt, are you in agreement with David's uh feeling?
3: Yeah, I think I am for all the, for all the reasons David's beautifully outlined. Well, thank um, you, Matt. <laughs> and and I also think I like Sinners' approach. Uh, I mean, I like Rublev's approach, but it is so intense, and it feels like it sort of feels like we're seeing the upper limits of what Rublev has at the moment, and it's yeah. it's great. He's gonna he's gonna win a
1: lot. I just sort of worry for his sort of you know mind and because. And He looks so on the edge all the time, mentally, to me.
3: Whereas Sinner just feels like there's so much more to come from him. And it's funny, he lost this match in straight sets. But the way he played against Nadal at Roland Garros last year really caught my attention. Mm -hmm. He was able to hurt Nadal in a way that, for example, I don't think Rublev would have been able to do. I would have to go back and check exactly what it was Sinner was doing. But there's something about the way... He injects pace, which feels different to the way Rublev does it. And I think it's more mm. dangerous to, to the very top players. And then what David says, I think he'll have the movement and the defence to be one of the top players himself.
2: If he comes through this against Karatsev, he could face Rublev in oh, the semi finals <laughs> of the Dubai d Tennis Championships, yes. Uh, Rublev takes on Martin Hm.
3: Mm. He's won twenty-two matches in a row at five hundreds now, which is the which is second on the all-time list of that that winning streak. He's just overtaken Murray, and he's still five or six matches wow. behind Federer. I think.
1: So here's one for you. There was Sorry, Catherine, there was a period a few years ago when Alina Svitolina kept on winning Premier 5 tournaments. Do you remember that? That level of tournament that doesn't make any sense to anybody. Um, but that felt kind of like her level, really. Those are the tournaments she can win. I'm not sure she wins a Grand Slam. And I'm still not sure... The Andre, I, I Look, I'm quite sure Andre Rublev can transfer what he's doing to a 1,000 and, and all the rest of it. But I'm still not sure about him either, whether he will win Grand Slam tournaments. I wonder whether Rublev and Svitolina maybe end up similar sorts of player.
2: Poor Svitolina suddenly being used as an example of the not-quite person. Whereas a few years ago, she was the when-will-she-win-a-Slam Person, it's probably only a matter of time but
1: not for me she things wasn't things of
2: thing uh, well for a lot of well-respected pundits she was
1: <laughs> that's a great <laughs> bit of shame unlike you anyway so respected so, pundits no,
2: i sorry i meant others a lot of other <laughs> respected <laughs> pundits uh genuinely wasn't meant as a as a dismissal
1: david okay um
2: it was. I'm um, bigging you up. You knew better than a lot of other very well-respected pundits. Well uh, career well done ain't over for that. yet,
1: though. Maybe she. Maybe um, she's got something else in the bag.
2: Maybe, but nobody here seems to think so. <laughs> um, well, what yeah, about so you, two? Would you? Would you have, would you have
1: Rublev winning a slam? Sorry, would you? What do you think? I would. I think I would have Rublev
3: winning a slam ahead of Svitolina winning a slam.
1: Yes, I would too.
2: Because I think the bar for men winning a slam is going to come down a bit, Mm. potentially, whereas the bar for women winning a slam, I think, is only going in, in one
3: direction. I find that comparison very interesting, though, because people winning tournaments at the level below a slam, it feels like that should be the building block for them to go on to win slams. But actually, a different interpretation of it is the one you had, David, of Svitolina, that actually perhaps that is the limit and they're sort of peaking now. I sometimes assume that people will be able to, to transfer that to slams, but actually there's, mm-hmm. there's several examples where that isn't the case.
1: Um, yeah. Mm.
2: Okay, well, I'm going to throw Denis Shapovalov into this discussion.
1: Well, I'm back mix. on the night train.
2: <laughs> <laughs> He's already through to the semifinals in Dubai. Uh, as I said, he was the one to beat Jeremy Shardy earlier on today. He's the third seed uh, just behind Rublev. They're the top two seeds remaining. Uh, that's been the case ever since Dominic Team lost out to Lloyd Harris. We'll be talking about that. Don't worry. Uh, Lloyd Harris uh, is in the quarterfinal lineup. He takes on Kena Shikori a little bit later. So let's say we've got this fantasy situation where Shapovalov, Sinner, and Rublev um, are in the Dubai semi finals. We know Shapovalov's there. How are we comparing Shapovalov? against those other two. Where is the night train headed today?
3: In this tournament or career-wise?
2: I'll, I'll take anything because David seems okay. to have checked out of the discussion altogether. <laughs> no, Maybe so I'm at this just, stage, I'll take anything.
1: I thought I want to hear what Matt's got to say first.
3: <laughs> In this tournament, I think Shapovalov's playing brilliantly and looking looking great, uh, really. Uh, I watched him play Jan-Leonard Struff at the start of the week, an Mm. opponent who had beaten him four times in a row, always caused him problems. I thought, I'm tuning into that. That promises to be intriguing. And Shapovalov was fantastic. He got that balance perfectly between being able to impose his game so that he was still hitting winners and having an impact, but also reining in the unforced errors and the slightly wild passages that he can have. And he took Yalana's druf apart, returned brilliantly, such a clean match, straight sets. Then I think did a similar thing to Hubert Hercatch and then did a similar thing today to Jeremy Shardy. So I think in this tournament, the conditions seem to really suit Shapovalov. I'm not sure he's been to Dubai before. I think I think I read that Yusne was telling him that it would be a good place for him to play at, and that the conditions would suit his game. And that seems to be the case. So I think Look, he's looking great, and like David said, I've I've been reeled back in by Denis Shapovalov just just a week after I was down on him. I'm suddenly high on him again.
2: Oh, it only takes one match, doesn't it?
3: Well, well, that's it. I can't trust myself to make rational thoughts about mm. uh, about the career of Denis Shapovalov. It only takes one, one jump, single backhand, handed
2: feet off the yeah, mm. one feet off the ground, single-handed into out backhand and. We don't mind that he's the world's worst rapper. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Actually, I would say no. I I am now beyond that because you get those highlight real moments in every match, regardless of whether he's good or terrible. Um, but this week. He has been fantastic, as as Matt was saying. And I, I watched the match yesterday with her catch, and he was He was fantastic, he was knocking him off the court, knocking the living daylights out of the ball. And I, I went in his press conference afterwards, and because and he used the words, he said, I was just, I was really feeling it. And and I said to him, you clearly were as well in the previous round match against Struff. Um, can you tell that that's hap- about to happen? in any given week. Could you tell in practice and leading up to this that this was going to be the case? And he said, no, I can't. I, he said, it's only on the day. He said, tomorrow I could come out on the court and not have it. And um,
2: But isn't this the problem with Denis Shapovalov? This isn't new, isn't it? We know he can be brilliant when he's feeling it.
1: Yeah, he needs to I find agree. a way
2: to be really great when he's not quite feeling it.
1: And I asked him what, what the... Um, because he said he'd had a training block after Australia and I and asked what well, what was part of that because he's there, as Matt was saying, he's there with Mikhail Yuzhny so they've had a good lot of time on the court and he said a lot of repetition of hitting, of of sort of just getting used to it from that standpoint but also footwork. He said trying to make sure I'm always behind the ball um, and, and, and he actually said a lot of tactical work. Now he didn't go into detail as to what that was as such but it still feels to me like that's the big gaping hole in his game. It are employing tactics that he can rely upon and and turn to when, when things aren't feeling that great, you know? Some bread and um, butter. Yeah, exactly that. Um, and I feel like there's no reason why with his game, probably even more than with Grigor Dimitrov's in the past, that he can't find... Patterns that work for him reliably, particularly being a lefty and having the swinging serve, he's he got to be able to rely on that thing to go in for a start. We we know he had a lot of double fault problems, but I think he does have to rein back in his love of the the highlight reel and and the go and just because he loves to go for it, he 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 reminds himself. I think it doesn't he have a tattoo or, or something like that or a. Or, or a, a mascot that make, makes him think about going for it all the time,
2: and you—he ha- he has a you wolf c- mascot. That's I it. wasn't yeah. aware of a tattoo. No, I think it's, so the, it's the wolf mascot. That doesn't mean there isn't
1: one. That's what I was thinking of. You can't play like that at the top level, all the time. With you a just mascot, can't. <laughs>
2: we're a show <laughs> that's, that's bought very big into mascots,
1: David. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. That's why we're only. You know a certain ranking in the world at the moment, Catherine. <laughs> if we if we'd get ourselves more sort of sensible and organised, we'd, we'd love probably do we'd even better.
2: love a wolf mascot. Those are very welcome.
1: That would be great yeah. mm.
2: from the canine right. family, of course. So all comers welcome. Uh, Dennis Shapovalov beat Jeremy Shardy today. Uh, this is <coughs> this is your opportunity, David, to talk about your alone time. Jeremy Shardy. Yeah. earlier yeah, well, this
1: week. Halfway through this match yesterday that he was playing
2: Karen, Karen Hatchinov.
1: Hatchinov, yes. And halfway through the match he's winning this match and I start I did start to feel a bit guilty for what I'd said on Monday about him while I was watching the match and I looked him up on Instagram and and I saw a picture of his wife with his little baby son Stone who's only just over a year old, he's just celebrated his first birthday, and Jeremy's there pictured saying, I'm so proud to be your dad. And I just sort of tugged at the old heartstrings a bit, and I thought, you know, here's this bloke, and I feel like I've slagged him off a bit now and i'm feeling bad about it and here he is on it uh, i'm thinking here he is on his own in dubai playing his heart out and his wife and his sons at home and they've had all this time apart he played last week and he was in rotterdam and he was in australia it's you know i feel a bit sorry for him i'm gonna i'm gonna ask to, i want to speak to him so i asked for an interview uh, I, I asked is he coming into a press conference they said no no, nobody's requested him. I think, oh, nobody's requested. Him. <laughs> that
2: breaks I'm my gonna, heart when that happens. I'm, I'm going to request him. Strong Marin Cilic French Open vibes.
1: <laughs> I said, can, "Can I speak to him?" And yes, yeah, yeah, we'll bring him in for you. And I, oh, brilliant! You know, so he, he wins the match, comes in, and uh, first thing he says is, "I'm so tired. I've, it's two and a half hour match." And he looked, he looked out on his feet, poor bloke. Um, but anyway, he was. It turns out. He's not separated from his wife and his son. The pictures that are on Instagram are in his hotel room. They've come out with him. <laughs> so they're in Dubai. Um, and, uh, did you
2: just say, oh, forget it and <laughs> leave, leave meeting?
1: I just, I, I just about, I think I just about got away with it because I did sort of say, you know, I was trying to get the old, how hard is it to be away from your wife and your son? And he goes, oh, well, you know, I saw him an hour after the match, so it wasn't too bad. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you thought
2: you were talking about the period, that uh, desperately tragic period when he's physically on the tennis court. <laughs>
1: exactly, yeah. Right. Um, but, you know, it, he, he, was, he was talking about how, how lovely it is for him that they've been able to come out to that tournament. And just, you know, and he was saying how grateful he is to his wife for doing it. You know, just for because you know it's upheaval and all the rest of it, and um and there's a, there is a lot of waiting around, uh, inevitably in these situations at times. Um, but I, I he said I'm 34 and I don't really know how long I've got left, really, to play this sport, and and I, I sense this might even be the last year or last couple of years. You know, I don't I, I think he's he's alive to that, and then we started to realise, you know, what a good year he has had. I mean. I think it gets distracted by the fact that he played Djokovic at the Australian Open and all the headlines before the match are about how this guy has played 14 times against the same player and never beaten him but at either side of that he's had some really good results this year and arguably one of his best years in terms of just consistency and and delivering And, um, and I just thought good for you you know he's, he's a he- hell of a player i mean he really can i mean he beat Juan martin del Potro. i remember at the australian open a few years back he's got a massive forehand and when he's really on on his game um and yeah it was very very nice to talk to him
3: nine top 50 wins this year and zero last
1: right? year wow I, mean, I think his highest Only ranking has been around 20 24 or something like that it's as high as he's got um but he's having a really good spell at the moment
2: I think we know what what this podcast is going to be called. <laughs>
1: Jeremy, we love Shardy, Jeremy, a tribute. That's what it's going to be called. <laughs> Lovely old Jeremy.
2: Um, he is out though of the tournament that we're, <laughs> that we're talking about. Uh, as is Dominic Team. I mean, he's been out for ages. Uh, it seems like years since Dominic Team featured in this week's lineup. He lost out to Lloyd Harris uh, of South Africa, who was once. A next gener himself, Lloyd Harris. He was sort of a a, a next gen participant without without much fanfare. I remember him playing Roger Federer on centre court at Wimbledon once, um and getting beaten in straight sets but, but certainly or oh, actually I think he hang won on. the first set. He won a set, didn't he? Hmm. Mm. Well, he's beaten the top seed Dominic team in in straight sets this week, and he's in the quarterfinals. As I as I said earlier, he plays Kane and Shikori shortly. Um, I had forgotten what Lloyd Harris looked like. In my defence, he looks very different to the last time I engaged with him. There's there's a lot more hair than he's always had than, hair. He's not always had that hair. What, That's what's less hair. hair? It's a flowing a... mane, mm. David. I, I think it's everywhere. Of him with
3: a lot of
1: hair. Is it a bit like Air Bear?
3: Oh, it's more than that. And it's a lot down. more.
2: And there's uh, there's no top knot. It's all just it's everywhere. It's hanging loose. Mm. Sort of. Um, I was going to say Agassi style, but that was a that was a wig, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you so rarely see a a, a tennis player in in the year twenty twenty one. With the flowing, oh, yeah, I'm mane, just I'm, I'm just looking it hair. up.
1: It's a, it's it's a little bit like sort of 1998 Carlos Moyá. Yeah, longer, I would say, longer. It's proper shoulder length, sprouting out of his headband either mm. side. Yeah. So
2: it's all happening, hair wise.
1: Yeah, tennis
2: wise, what, what's happening for him, and what isn't happening for Dominic Team? Those are probably two two questions that should be dealt with ra- rather separately. Was that result all about? Dominic team and what on earth is going on with him? Or was it about Lloyd Harris?
3: I think it was mainly Dominic team being in a rough spell by his own admission. But, I mean, Harris is playing very well. He reached the third round of the Australian Open. Didn't he? He had a good run at Antwerp, I remember, last last year. He beat Fritz. He beat Mute. He's had some good results recently. He beat Wawrinka in Doha last week. Um, he's, he's a good athlete. Big serve, quite a fast arm, probably falls into that category of why have they not had better results considering the game that he's got. But I watched a bit of that match and team's game was having no impact.
2: What a thing to say.
3: What a thing to say. What a thing to mm. watch, because that is probably the most impactful game in men's tennis when he's when he's firing. Now, he said there was no pain in the foot, which is you know good, obviously, but it does lead us kind of even more to question the performance there's there's no there's no way you can put that down to an injury in the same way that I think you probably could a little bit with the Australian Open but for sure he's in I would say probably the first real slump that he's had in a while he's had the occasional bad result here and there I remember him losing to Krajanovic just before last year's US Open but they've been isolated results this is now a string of Lackluster performances and yeah just just poor results by his by his standard I think there's I think there's lots of potential reasons. the injury at the start of the year is one of them. I think he's spoken about being quite fatigued and weary of bubble life and not playing in front of fans i think I think that probably does have a little bit of, of an impact and then I don't know whether whether he's sort of struggling to figure out his own place in tennis at the moment. I've been slightly struggling myself. I was watching a Dominic team match the other day and the commentator asked, how many slams do you think Team can win in his career? And they settled on, I wouldn't be surprised if it was five or more. And I thought, wow, I genuinely have not considered how many grand slams Team is going to win in his career. In my mind... I've put team down as kind of mission accomplished in a way because mm. he's got that first slam. I've not yeah. thought about what are the next prospects. I I don't know, I'm not I'm not suggesting that team is thinking like that, but it certainly must be an adjustment that he's got to make at the moment. Where does he go from here? I know he's talked about Roland Garros being a big target for this year and trying to beat Nadal and you know, probably we judge team's season once the clay swing has been and gone. It's probably still early to be concerned about him but he is still sort of chasing because Djokovic and Nadal are still at the top of the game but he's also slightly muscled in so I just I think kind of what is team's identity at the moment is 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 a tricky one and maybe maybe those sorts of adjustments are, are hard for him as well I don't know
2: that's all really interesting and you you put that on our whatsapp group didn't you you quoted that commentary line um And yeah, it hadn't occurred to me either to make a prediction. It hadn't, hasn't. I don't think it's something we've done on this podcast. Make predictions about how many Grand Slams Dominic team. We've done it for everyone else, and that's that's you know that's our bread and butter. Hmm. Um, And you're absolutely right. It was all because it was so long. When will he win? When and if will he will he win one? Now he's done that. We haven't. Moved the conversation along. We haven't thought to do that, and it's it's possible that that's a reflection of something that's going on in Dominic' team internally. So how (laughs)
3: many?
2: I didn't I say four.
3: You said I think you said four stroke five, which four stroke
2: five. I think I said yeah.
3: Does feel about right. The thing with team is he's older than a lot of Mm. the other players who we would put in that conversation, the ones we've already been talking about today. So it's it's almost harder to think how much time he's got left. I mean, I'm sure he's still got plenty of years to win plenty of slams, but that is in the back of my mind when I think about his career compared to a Sitsa pass or a Medvedev, for example.
1: Uh, I did listen to a, a press conference of his the other day, and, and he when he was talking about um, playing on clay and coming up, I mean... It, the way he spoke was just in awe of Nadal in really? in terms of, uh, I I got the sense, you know how we sometimes have that conversation about, you know, he's a better clay court player, but his chances of winning majors are higher on hard courts just because he doesn't have to play Nadal. Mm. I, I got that sense really that he, he feels maybe it's just what he's saying publicly, but if Nadal's there and playing well, really I've done everything i can I've thrown everything I've got, and it's enough against everyone else again except this guy That's how it kind of came across and um i mean he does look he i i accept he's probably well that he's he's reported a foot injury, but he does look depleted at the moment and it's it's quite sad to see that really because I always think of him as this man just bursting with energy and intent and he's coming to get you and he doesn't feel like he's got that right now and and so it's a real shame that he's not playing Miami but I really I do get it in his case I think he he's got a bit of a rebuilding a rebooting job to do I think
2: mm, that's something that he that he said in that in that press conference uh, after the loss to, to Lloyd Harris that um, yeah I, I, I went to that and yeah, it was quite, it was a real downer. It was a re- <laughs> The whole thing was a real, real downer. It's not, it's not nice to see exactly as you said, David, somebody <laughs> that's known for the things that he's known for, sort of completely stripped bare of them. It's like a sort of naked Dominic team. Um, not going to Miami. Uh, there's, there's a few not going to Miami. Federer, of course. Nadal's not going to play Miami. Um I'd be surprised if Djokovic played Miami. I don't think he's officially said that he won't, but um he's said he intends to play a massively stripped back season, so it's hard to see how Miami Somebody fit, fits into th- that for him.
1: I think I think Simon Briggs when I was chatting to him the other day, he said he thinks Djokovic will play Miami. Oh, really? Yeah. Um that he's Interesting. I don't know whether it's what he's heard or just a feeling, but yeah, that was the sense I got. Um, and he's still well, we on the list. We won't
2: delve, delve too deeply then into talking about his absence, but it's it's certainly going to be depleted. And look, it, there's there's no talk of that being any kind of coordinated uh, discussion or anything in the direction of a boycott. But you know that the sacrifices that have have to be made in order to travel, combined with the um, situation with the rankings: There's there's m- minimal relative to normal rankings gains to be made from from playing tournaments, and the significantly diminished prize money. Uh, com- combine that with the number of players that we're seeing look a little bit jaded, and and you end up with yeah depleted fields, which which is a shame. But Touchwood on the women's side, it looks like it's going to be. A very very strong field, which um, which would be very welcome indeed. Um, so that's Miami starting starting next week. Starting well, our coverage on uh, Prime Video starts Wednesday of next week. Um, promo alert! Do tune in. <laughs> um,
1: Get to see Catherine. You yes. Know, what more do you want?
2: Yes, nothing. You couldn't possibly wish for anything more. Uh, incidentally, Aslan Karatsev—he's a break-up in the decider, so uh, against Yannick Sinner, he is currently the favourite to become potato peeler. Um, keep you updated with that. We've had oh. uh, the tournament going on in Acapulco, Mexico. People have been going vaguely loco, not quite as loco as they would um, outside of, an, of, a, of, a, of a pandemic. Uh but still a little bit loco lorenzo Lorenzo Musetti uh the young Italian around whom there has been various amounts of fanfare over the past year or so. He beat Diego Schwartzmann and Francis Tiafo, and he now plays Grigor Dimitrov, which bless him, David described as a true battle of the generations this morning
1: who <laughs> who are you blessing there me old Grigor. <laughs> Both, both of us, because oh, we're both cool. back in we're, we're both sort of back ten years ago, aren't we? Oh. Mm. You, you said he turns thirty this year, didn't he? Uh, I think, well, yeah, so I mean, yes. Both one-handed backhands, um, obviously, and and it will be a picture that match. Massetti, he makes your heart sing watching that kid. I mean, I I, I wish I'd watched the full matches. I've only watched the soundbite, the little highlights, but. He gets you involved. He makes you care about his matches, and um, then when you do care about them, and you see him unveiling what he's got, his game. M- imagine how big this kid could be uh, if if he were to uh, have results to go with his style. Well, isn't it, he's the he's the lad you wrote a, a blog about, Matt, isn't he? Back in the pre-pandemic, Plattson, <laughs> two whole early years. adopter alert. <laughs> <laughs> Two whole years ago. Mm. Yeah, well, he's
3: cut, he's come on a bit since then and he's he's bulked up, I think, this season. He looks a lot bigger to me than he did. Mm, I was than he struck did. by that. Even when he was having his wins last season. Who did he beat? He beat uh, Wawrinka and Nishikori, I think, in Rome. Mm. But the Schwarzman win was his first top 10 win. And I think even his first hardcore win on the tour. Um, yeah, he, he's an absolute dream for... Tennis TV highlight packages, isn't he? Just the the shots he come up, comes up with, and the hand skills he's got, and the touch he's got is is a real real delight to watch. There was there was a lovely juxtaposition at the end of the end of the match against T.F.O. As you said, David, he was flat on his back, kind of with relief and joy and exhaustion, and then down the other end, Francis T.F.O. smashing his racket three times at the net. That was a that was a deciding set tie break for that one. Um yeah, and he's going to be the sort of player who connects with crowds, I think. People are going to want to watch him play and enjoy watching him play. And there is a there's a decent crowd at Acapulco for this tournament. It doesn't quite have the same buzz that it usually does, but there's it's sort of more than we're used to seeing at the moment. Um he's the perfect player for that atmosphere.
2: Will sort of sit a pass and Rublev and Sinner suddenly become Dimitrov Roundich uh, and Nishikori when Alcaraz and Musetti and Serundolo start breaking through. Serundolo. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, if that happens, what on earth does that make Nishikori, Dimitrov and Raonic?
1: I don't know. My, my favourite thing is when somebody who hasn't really been following it that much says, you know, when are the next gen like Dimitrov and Nishikori going to break through? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: Dimitrov, I can tell you, turns 30 on May the 16th of this year.
1: Blimey. Mm. And yet yeah, he's probably got, he could probably have another 10 years. You know, he's such a fit lad, isn't he? You know. Um, we could probably
2: have a podcast to mark that, mark that occasion. A look what, back on all of the now tragic predictions that David and Catherine have made over the years <laughs> before about Matt Grigor Dimitrov. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, that's, um, it's,
3: it's, sorry, that's quite fitting, isn't it? Dimitrov's birthday is very near the Tennis podcast birthday. Mm, it's, it about is. A week apart.
1: My, 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 one of my favourite moments of the Australian Open was when somebody got us to commit to doing Grigor Dimitrov relived if he won the tournament. <laughs>
2: Well, this is our chance on his thirtieth birthday. Uh, it's quite a it's quite a handsome uh, quarterfinal lineup in Acapulco. Uh, they've got pass and Ojeraliassim in the quarterfinals. Then Musetti against Dimitrov, Cam Norrie against Dominic Kupfer. Nori uh, got a win over Stefan Kozlov early, uh, opening round, but then Fabio Fanini. Uh, the six seed straight sets in the second round then they've got Kaspar Rude against Alexander Zverev at the bottom of the draw so I mean it's an absolute stinker for us in terms of the hours that that tournament is on I invariably end up watching it via highlights the following morning but I might just stay up or wake up for sit to pass against Orger and because that's a uh, that's an intriguing match-up in head-to-head, isn't
3: it? Yes, agreed. I had made a note to wake up at 2am tonight for that one. Uh, oh,
1: when's Massetti against Dimitrov then?
3: Because that's the one I want to watch. I think that might be after that. Oh, I'm getting up for that. Mm. Mm. pass very impressive, I think, against Isner, a player who he had, a, I think, a 2-all head-to-head record against, and Isner... Has done well in Acapulco before, and has that big serve that Sitsapas has occasionally struggled with on return, but was really excellent. And I very much enjoyed Ojouali Yassim's quote after beating Corda. Nineteen-year-old Ojouali Yassim said his experience got him through <laughs> against Corda, but he, he, he's younger than Corda, which is. <laughs> Weird to think about considering he's been around sort of in our consciousness for so much longer. But you know, it's kind of true. He has played a lot more big matches than than Corda. But yeah, I said said without any irony, I think, whatsoever, it was very amusing.
2: Four AM, David Muzzetti against Dimitrov, according to the Tennis Live app. I'll be there. Yep. yep. If I set my alarm for that, then the look Billy Jean will give me will be well, Whitaker esque. <laughs> I would say well, she just knows like an early morning.
0: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans.
2: Uh, in Mexico, we've got the WTA uh, event in St. Petersburg this week. Uh, Clara Towson, who was the bookies' third favourite for the title, having come through qualifying. Uh, I'm starting to think that Odds Compilers are big listeners to the tennis podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, They're on the they road to very ruin. big on <laughs> Clara Towson. Uh, she got beaten by Daria Kasatkina, who I think is somebody... In this Zoom room's pick for the title this week? Yes. Does anyone want to raise their hand? Oh, yes, David has pumped the air. And
1: I've just been watching her fight back from the brink against Alexandra Sasnovich while you were talking about 10 minutes ago. She was 4 3 down with uh, Sasnovich serving, and uh, Kasatkina forced it into a tiebreak for me and then won it. So she's now into the quarterfinals and will face either. Uh, Veronica Kudamatova, or um Camilla Rakhimova another Russian. So um yeah.
2: You just drove yourself gonna... down a cul-de-sac there, didn't you, David? <laughs> didn't
1: you <laughs> She's going to go all the way. Is uh Kasatkina and uh yeah, 176
2: in the third. Uh Pavlyuchenkova is also in. She was my pick for the title. It's a Russian heavy heavy draw which you'd expect given given the kind of Localizing effect of the pandemic on tennis tournaments, and the fact that there are so many good uh, female, well, and male. There are so many good Russian tennis players. Um, yeah, you've got Kuznetsova, Kazakina, uh Pavlychenkova, Gasanova. I think she's yeah, she is Russian, isn't she? Vera Zvonareva. She beat Fiona Ferro. Um, another that's a clash of the generations as well, isn't it? Margarita Gasparian. Uh Ekaterina Alexandrova. So um that's what's going on in the St. Petersburg Ladies Trophy, which sounds like a, a tournament name from the nineteen seventies. Um and in Monterey, uh Monterey, Mexico, of course, not Monterey of Californian aquarium fame. Uh Leila Fernandez uh, is through to face Matt fill in the blank for me.
3: Oh, it's not, is it?
2: It is. It is. She's only in a semi uh, No, sorry. No, I get ahead she's of not. myself. <laughs> she's only in a
3: quarter final. Take the credit, Matt. This is this is big. That is quite big, isn't it? Yeah. A,
2: a WTA 250 quarter final uh having
3: beaten quarter final. Uh, That's Dart. what we predict of Cosmova.
2: Mm. Having beaten Harriet Dart 6-4-6-3 six, six, and Caroline Dolhide 6-3-6-1. Six, six, She's not even dropping sets, Matt. I haven't even said who it is, have I? It's Vic- is Victoria <laughs> Kuzmo for
3: everyone. It's a marked improvement. She'd lost nine of her last ten matches.
2: Mm. It's two Singles matches.
3: She's a doubles specialist now. I've, I've, yes. I've made well, that clear.
2: Those days might be numbered. Um, so she's into the quarterfinals to face Layla Fernandez, the very promising young Canadian. I've uh, got Anna Carolina Schmiedlover and Sara Cerebus Tormo con- continuing her run. Uh, there, the other quarterfinalists and uh, the bottom half of the quarterfinal lineup yet to be uh, decided. It's another one with very difficult viewing hours for us, uh, Monterey, Mexico. I wanted to bring you up to date with a. A couple of interactions, communications, emails uh, that we've had from our listeners following on from the last podcast where we discussed um, the lengthy bathroom break that was taken by Barbora Krejcikova in the final of Dubai Uh, last week, the, I think, 11-minute bathroom break that was taken and the discussion that uh, then precipitated about penalising bathroom breaks, trying to disincentivise players from taking them in some way. Uh, This is from Sarah Elizabeth uh, to us on Instagram uh, on that subject. She says, it may encourage people to use hormonal contraceptives differently to alter their cycles. I imagine this is safe to do occasionally, but for years on end... Hormonal birth control and cycle control, after all, it's not always used for purely contraceptive purposes, can have serious negative repercussions for some people and making it something that is seriously incentivized in women's sport could set dangerous precedents. And kind of continuing along that theme, Savo Raicevic, uh from the Laboratory for Neuropathology in the Histopathology Department at the Clinical Centre of Serbia... Writes to us thus, I do not specialise in productive medicine, but know enough on the matter to be alarmed at the prospect of pressuring female players to shorten bathroom breaks by using point penalty or such system as David suggested. I find this idea possibly dangerous. Why? Because putting additional pressure on female athletes that are already under enormous pressure is not a good approach to the problem. The physiological reasons for long bathroom breaks are obviously beyond the players' control. But introducing new bathroom break rules could push some to try to take control over that. This could lead players down a dangerous path, potentially compromising their health. I would like to see things staying as they are. I know that some will take advantage of that, but it's better to have unfairness than potentially endanger the health of young ambitious girls who want to be competitive athletes. Yeah, it's something that crossed my mind when we were discussing it on the previous podcast, but I didn't quite go there because I didn't quite feel kind of uh, that I had the authority to go there. But it is something that was preying on my mind. And look, I know that top-level sport the The pressures they're in do naturally probably encourage male and female athletes to make choices about their body and what they put into their body that non-top sports people do. And I guess it's not a, a black and white thing in that regard. But equally, I think we should all feel uncomfortable with any kind of change to rules which could potentially put pressure on female athletes to To put hormones into their body that, that they wouldn't otherwise choose to if that rule weren't in place. Um, yeah, again, I, I, I still don't think that is a conclusive end to the debate. I still think it's valid to have a debate. I just think all these things need to feature in that debate and it's really important that views and opinions and expertise like that are heard um, and listened to. So thank you very much um, for getting in touch with us um on that matter we we really we really welcome expertise when we're speaking about things that we have no expertise about which uh, is most so, things yeah so thank you very much
3: on the subject of receiving emails and correspondence a lot of people have asked us what what app we're using now to follow live scores now that the yes. WTA and ATP app is no longer functioning in fact i got i got a message this morning from charlie echoshire about what we're using now. So if someone like Charlie, Charlie. you know, isn't sure, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are not sure either. And I think we're all using the tennis, but it's T-N-N-S, isn't it? So slightly weird spelling.
2: Yes, but underneath it, it does say Tennis Live. Right. So I think if you search Tennis Live in in your app store, I think you'll get the appropriate app. Um, there are others. It's not mm. sort of an absolutely definitive, this is the one that everyone's using. We tried Resultina. Resultina. I'm using that one. Yeah. Resultina. Uh,
1: you, you have to pay for that. that. That's the only thing. But I mean, they, yeah. they give a really good way of looking at all the live results from everywhere, including challenges and futures all in one place. So you can see an in-progress screen, which which I quite like. Um, but yeah, I use, I use both of those.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's still a source of disappointment that the ATP WTA live scores app isn't a thing anymore. It seems it's, it's a tennis shooting itself in the foot moment, isn't it? But thank goodness uh, there are service providers uh, giving us an alternative. Um, So that's your tennis podcast lot for this week. Folks, we'll be back next week looking back on uh, Dubai, Acapulco, Monterey, St. Petersburg, Um, we'll be looking ahead to Miami of course our first ATP Masters 1000 event of the year Um, and of course that's a that's a combined uh, event with the WTA so that should be good Uh, we'll have another new mascot next week but for this week we've still got Ella the love you lovely rescue cat uh, who lives with Mary in Australia hello Ella
3: right Ella hello Ella and Mary
2: (laughs) Yes, hello. We, we like the name Mary. We're, we're big fans of we're big fans of all Marys. Um, we have our own mascots. Billy Jean King will be proud to know that uh, her charge, Billy Jean Canine, is uh, calmly asleep at my feet. She's, For a she's having a very well behaved day so far. Mm. Mm. I had a bit of a terrible situation where I. I was buying her some treats online and somebody had told me that these rabbit ear things were great for puppies because it helps with their teeth what actual and I didn't give it much th- well mm, that's the pertinent question David I didn't give it much thought because I just thought I just assumed that they would be fake rabbit ears anyway I opened up this parcel with dog treats Billy Jean sort of doing somersaults at my feet because she can smell she can smell joy afoot and um these actual real life rabbit no. ears with fur on and everything in the bag and I literally I dropped it like a hot potato <laughs> I know it's incredibly distressing and even worse she bloomin' loves them anyways so I'm trying oh. to get her to, to eat her way through them pronto so I don't have to have them in my flat anymore I know, I know. Your face is is exactly my <laughs> my reaction as oh gosh. A yeah. friend
3: recommended this to you.
2: Yeah, well the the puppies do really like them. She she loves it. I just I'm
3: really disturbed by this. Mm, Me too.
2: Mm, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> don't judge Billie Jean for it. It's in it's in her DNA. She knows not what she does. Um my mascot is Zeus. I'm sure he's far too sophisticated to mess around with, with rabbit ears. He's he's far too respectful of the old rabbits. Hello, Zeus. Matt, I'm going to mix it up. You're going to go next and say hello to your mascot.
3: Scouse Mousel, whose owner I will be getting in touch with to find out whether they consume rabbit ears. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know, I'm going to stay well rabbit out of it. Rabbit ear
2: shaming. I'm right, sure Rogue. Rogue does nothing of the sort, David. Oh,
1: you're behaving yourself, Rogue.
2: Um, Chris Albert-Lee is our executive producer and we have shout-outs for Matt.
1: Lee Ferguson.
2: Hello, Lee Ferguson, possible relative of Alex.
1: <laughs> Possibly. All right, Lee, <laughs> thanks a lot for your support.
2: Well, and until it's ruled out, we'll never know. He could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Uh,
3: Richard Zhang. Oh, hello. What a name. That's, That's great. So cool. How do you spell that? Z-H-A-N-G. That's cool. So like
2: like, like Zhang Shui?
1: Exactly like that. Wow.
2: Possible relative.
1: Yeah, poss- possibly.
2: Hello, Richard. Thanks for your support. And
3: finally, Justin, backer number 427. That's Identified
2: cool, by a tattoo on his pec, I'm sure.
3: Yeah, very cool. hello Justin
2: Justin. thank you for your support Uh, thank you everyone for listening leave us an iTunes review thank you everyone for all our newsletter subscribers and backers that have helped us out by filling in our survey leave us an iTunes review follow us on social media probably don't do that if you don't like dogs Um, but if you do like pictures of dogs definitely follow us on Instagram Um, and we'll be back on Monday with more tennis chat we'll speak to you then
0: target.